if you're going to be anointed or increased anointing, you've got to learn to relax. You've got to learn to relax in, in your corner. You've got to learn to sit back and relax. Not be lazy. Prepare. But relax. Stop being so intense. Some people are so intense. They're so intense. When you're intense, you can't hear God. Rodney Howard Brown. A missionary from South Africa is being used by the Holy Spirit to help thousands experience the touch of God. And now with part two of a five-part series entitled The Touch of God, here's our teacher, Rodney Howard Brown. If you open your Bibles once again this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 4, I'll read several verses of Scripture to you. We're talking about the subject of the anointing. Verse 14 of chapter 4, and Jesus returned in the spirit, in the power of the spirit into Galilee. And there went a fame of him through all the region round about. He taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he'd opened the book, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, I want you to notice that because the anointing of God comes on you for a reason and for a purpose. And many of us need to just find out what that purpose is there for. There are different kinds of anointings. There's a healing anointing, a preaching anointing, a teaching anointing. Sometimes that preaching anointing comes down and somebody says, well, I, I, I wish I could preach. When the anointing comes on you, you'll preach. Amen. Sometimes I heard one preacher say, well, sometimes I preach, sometimes I teach, sometimes I teach, preach, sometimes I preach, teach. He says, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. But when that anointing comes on you and you hook up with that anointing, then it'll be evident to all. Can you say amen? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, or you could say enabled me, or empowered me, or equipped me. To preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. To sit at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then go to chapter 5. And we look at verse 15. But so much the more went their fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear. And to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself in the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors the Lord sitting by which had come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them I want you to notice that the power of the Lord was present to heal them then over in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were pressed of the devil, for God was with him. And then over to First John, if you would please. First John, chapter 2, and verse 20. But you have an unction, the word unction there, the word anointing. You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. And then verse 27. But the anointing which you've received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but it's the same anointing teaches you of all things. And it's truth, and there's no lie. Even as it is taught you, 
you shall abide in him. And then one final reference in Isaiah 10, 27, it shall come to pass in that day that his yoke shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now, we talked yesterday about the anointing in the life and the ministry of Jesus. We see that Jesus did not do any miracles as a child or any signs and wonders as a child, but when he that day came down and was baptized by John in the river Jordan, when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, sat upon him. God spoke out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Yea, he him. From that moment of time, Jesus was then anointed or equipped or empowered or enabled by his Father. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. There we see the Godhead in operation. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in John 3.34 that Jesus spoke the word of God and that God gave him the Spirit without measure. So we see that Jesus stood in every one of the fivefold ministry. He was the fivefold ministry. He was the apostle. He was the prophet. He was the evangelist. He was the pastor. And he was the teacher. He was an apostle. He was a sent one. Came on the greatest missionary journey of all time. Left the realms of glory. And he came to this earth below. And was born in a manger. Took on human flesh. And he had one purpose, one aim, one goal, and one mission. And that was to buy and redeem men back. And, but it wasn't until the appointed time for that ministry to come forth. He spent 30 years in preparation for three and a half years of earthly ministry. Today, ministers spend three and a half years in preparation for 30 years of earthly ministry. Jesus spent 30 years in preparation for three and a half years. But when that appointed time had come and the anointing of God come upon him from that moment on he moved into the fullness of that which his father had he said I don't do anything but that I first see my father do it Jesus was watching the father every step of the way to see what he would do and when the father said move then he moved he was the prophet he said no prophet is without honor save in his own country he spoke by revelation when he opened his mouth Divine purposes and plans of Almighty God flowed out of his belly. He was the evangelist. He brought the good news. He declared the evangel. He brought good news to the sick. You don't need to be sick anymore. He brought good news to the poor. You don't need to be poor anymore. He brought good news to the depressed. You don't need to be depressed anymore. He brought that message of the plan of redemption to them not just by the words that he spoke, but by his very life as he poured it out on Calvary's hill. He was the pastor. He was the good shepherd. He said the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He was the good shepherd, the one that came in by the sheep gate into the earth. He did not come as a thief and a robber. And he said, my sheep know my voice, the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Then he was the teacher. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. Now when Jesus left the earth, and we can read over in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, if you turn there with me, because this morning you see I want to get into the subject on how to increase the anointing of God in your life, and I believe that this is probably the number one reason why many do not see the anointing of God increase in their life, because they've never found out what God had for them to do. You can be anointed of God and do what you want to do. You can be anointed of God by following His plan 
and following His purpose for your life. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace. You could say that word grace is an enablement or ability or anointing according to the measure of the gift of Christ. God will never give you a gift and not give you an anointing to match the gift. Whatever gift is given, He will give you the anointing, He will give you the grace to match that gift that He gives you. People look at some that go to foreign fields that live in total, I mean just adverse circumstances and say, how can you do it? And that person looks and smiles and says, it's the easiest thing I ever did. Why? God graced them. God has empowered them to, under any circumstances, survive. Can you say amen? And uh, I look at some pastors and I rub my forehead and I, I just say, oh, I'm, I wonder how they can put up with that. Looking at those same people week after week, Sunday after Sunday. But obviously God must have graced them. He'd given them more grace than he gave me, that's for sure. I'll tell you right now. But with each calling, you see, people look at us and say, how can you have two meetings a day, six days a week, week in, week out? Sometimes we'll run 13 weeks in a row. Sometimes there's not even a day off. And it's the easiest thing we ever did. Can you say amen? I guess he just graced us. And so, according to the measure of the gift of Christ, he gives the grace, he gives the anointing, he gives the enablement, he gives the empowering. We should not seek to try to do something that God has not called us to do because then we step out beyond the grace of God and if the grace of God never led you to that place the grace of God cannot keep you in that place the ministry is not a job it's not something well I, I guess I was a failure in business and a failure at this I think I'll go into the ministry Lord have mercy Jesus never walked around through the park in Jerusalem and said oh look I found three tramps one by the name of Peter, James, and John the Bum. Come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. No, they were busy. They were working. They were doing something. They were not just some, you know, sit on the street corner, beg for alms type person. God looks for people that are busy with their hands, that are doing something. And then he takes you out of that and he anoints you. Can you say amen? Brother Rodney, I just don't like work, so I think I'll go into the ministry. I've got news for you. I've got news for you. The ministry is more work than any work you could work. Because when you go to work, you go at 8 or 9 in the morning, you come home at 5, and that's it. But in the ministry, it's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 2 o'clock in the morning, man, you get up, you're still in the ministry. I mean, you didn't go home and take your ministry off. The ministry is with you wherever you go. And demands have been placed upon you all the time. They say that one hour of preaching is equivalent to eight and a half hours of hard labor. Did you know that? You preach twice a day, you're putting in a good 17 hour day. Hello? Come on now. It takes life force out of you. No, it's not a physical, it's not a manual type labor, but it's spiritual, the spiritual life force of God flowing out of you. And then there's a lot, how many have found that it's mentally taxing? How many have found out that it stretches your mental capabilities? Have you noticed that recently? You would not want to step in an area that God never called you to. Because you're going unprotected, you're going without the anointing. Now many people think when you start teaching along these lines that you're trying to take the ministry and put the ministers up here and the people down there. It's not a case of that. 
First of all, every believer is anointed by reason of the fact that you've got Jesus living on the inside of you. But that doesn't mean to say you can take just any believer and go put him as the head of a church. You're going to have chaos. We've seen people that were businessmen, millionaires, you know, because they had the wherewithal to get the job done. They said, well, I don't like that church. I don't like the pastor. I'll go build me a church. Come on now, it's getting quiet in here, isn't it? Just because you were successful in business doesn't mean to say you're going to make it in the ministry. I'll say that again. Just because you were successful in business doesn't mean to say you're going to make it in the ministry. I'll say that one more time. Just because you were successful in business doesn't mean to say you're going to make it in the ministry. In actual fact, the people that God chooses, the Bible says, if you'll turn there with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 quickly. I don't know why I keep saying quickly, because we always take our time, so it doesn't really matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The foolishness, verse 25, of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, the things which are despised as God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And then in chapter 2 he goes on to tell that when he stood in front of them he came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. All the ministers of the gospel full time, raise your hands here. We're just showing ourselves for what we are, foolish things. Not many wise, not many mighty, but the Rodney stopped. Now I'm going to read it on. Not many noble, God hath chosen the foolish things. All the ministers, raise your hands. <laughs> the Bible even says, <laughs> it says, the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> How ridiculous. The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The weak things. Hello. The base things. You want to be in the ministry? <laughs> the things which are despised. Why did he do that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Because when it's all said and done, it's not man that's done anything. It's God. God and God. And when you stand and minister in that place, you're not relying upon your own ability. You're not ministering from your own intellect, which I wish some people would realize and learn. I don't care how many degrees you've got. Some people got so many degrees, they look like a thermometer. Paul said, I didn't come with great eloquence. So if you hear somebody who's eloquent, we're so glad that you came today to this wonderful service. Those that are watching by television, 
and everybody thinks, my, look at the anointing. There's no anointing there. Give me a break. It's nothing more than a polished up stinky corpse. That's what it is. Pastor Rigor Mortis. And the moment you hear the organ, you know you had a funeral service. So one day he doesn't stand there and say, Did you keep the lights on? Hello. Welcome to today's funeral service. They're nothing more than spiritual Dr. Kevorkians. The blind leading the blind. Taking people into spiritual suicide. While they have a form of godliness, they deny the very power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Bob Nichols told me, he said, that Billy Graham had said several years ago, he said, with all the problems in America, it's nothing that a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival won't cure. As a minister of the gospel, I'm to ask myself every time I get in the pulpit, am I bringing life or am I bringing death? When people leave the service, are they brought into greater revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ or do they leave more depressed than what they came? You will leave just like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick and lame. For I, the preacher, have got paralysis of the brain. And then we get together for a service and we tell everybody, today God's going to move. So everybody comes to the service and they're waiting for God to move. The Holy Ghost starts to come down, but suddenly now, our minds... I'm starting to lose control here now. Woo. Meeting's getting a little bit out of hand. I think I'll stop it right now before anything bad can happen. And stop everything. And uh, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. And we'll see you tonight. God's going to really move tonight. You come back that night and the same thing. And week after week, people are just so tired of hearing that God's going to move. And when they get there, he doesn't move. I was tired of going. I'll tell you what Brother Wayne said. I was tired of going to some of these large meetings where who's who in the charismatic zoo was. And they tell me the Holy Ghost was going to be there. And I thought, wonderful, I'm going. And I'd go sit there on the front row. And I'd wait. And I'd wait. And I'd wait, and I'd look at my watch and say, obviously God must have had another appointment because he sure didn't come here today. Oh, there was a lot of hooping, a lot of hollering, a lot of shouting, a lot of screaming, a lot of spitting cotton. A lot of preaching was going on, but the preaching wasn't the word of God. It was merely symbolism. It was symbolic. 
great cliches, great one-liners that brought the crowd to their feet, but yet had no practical outworking in that person's life, was just another nail in the religious coffin of bondage and death. To stir them up emotionally, thinking that they'd actually received something, and going outside and finding, I've got nothing. When the anointing of God comes on you, it's for a purpose. It's not to build your ministry. It's to meet the needs of people. God doesn't give you a miracle ministry so that you can have big crowds. Someone said, if I can just find one person here, we'll have a big crowd. You've got the wrong motive, you've got the wrong attitude, and I pray nobody ever gets healed in your ministry, you ugly thing. The reason why God wants to heal because he loves people. And he doesn't want them sick. Well, if we can just have large altar calls, I know that it'll be spread abroad and it'll be published in this book and published. Listen, let me tell you, I pray nobody gets saved in your ministry. The motive, Jesus' motive and his own ministry was totally unselfish. Now, the number one way to increase the anointing of God in your life, first of all, is to find out what God's called you to do. And once you've found out what God's called you to do, to stay with that, to lock in with that, like a bulldog. We've had bulls this way and that way and, and this way and that way. Come over here and do this. Come over here. Some people said, come over here and pastor church. Someone said, come over here and do this. Someone said, come over here and do You need to get involved in this. You need to get involved with that. And I just closed my ears. I'm involved in what I'm involved in. God said, go stir up the churches. That's what I'm doing. When he wants me to do something else, he'll tell me to do something else. And then he said, have two meetings a day, six days a week. That's what we do. Somebody said, if you'd make the meetings a little shorter, people can't take four or five hour services. If you just shorten the services, sometimes you need to wait a little while to run a few people off. You know, before Jesus could raise the dead, he had to kick everybody out the church. Was only in the house, but he had to get rid of them first. All right, I want the congregation to leave right now. We're going to raise somebody from the dead. Please get out. So to find out what God's called you to do, there's some people that are pastoring that God never called to pastor. There's some people that are on the evangelistic field. God never called you to be an evangelist. There's some people trying to stand in a place of ministry that God never called you to stand in. And when you're trying to stand in a place that God never called you to stand, it's going to like having, having lead weights on your feet. And you feel like you're in captivity. You feel like you're in prison. But when you move into the call of God, you'll be like an eagle soaring to the heights, riding the currents of the wind of the Holy Ghost. And it'll be a joy. It'll be an excitement for you. You say, how will I know? When God calls you and you find out what that is, they'll come and knowing deep down on the inside of you, you'll know that you know that you know. You, I'll tell you what, some ministers, you could talk them out of what they're doing in five minutes. If you came with a million dollars and a few good offers, and you talk them right out of their call and move it, because they're not really thoroughly convinced in their heart. They know exactly what God wants them to do. And unless you are single-minded about what God's called you to do, the devil will beat you around from pillar to post. You'll be like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. You'll never go anywhere. You'll never succeed in your life and in your ministry. You'll never make a success of it, because in the back of your mind, you're always thinking to yourself, maybe I should be doing something else. And until you get single-minded and know in your heart, this is what God has called me to do, and I don't care if that they 
bury me, I'm going to do it. I see when, when I started the ministry in 1980, let me tell you, nobody wanted me and nobody even cared. Only person who gave me a break was this pastor sitting right over here. But I call people up and say I'm passing through town. They say just keep passing through. <laughs> I remember 1981, man, when my wife and I were first married in October the 3rd, 81. Here we are traveling around, you know. I've got just a suitcase and this, my wife, I had a guitar and, and I used to do the worship and we'd lead the praise and worship and, and uh, I had the suitcase and her suitcase and this little Fiat. Fiat. And people would look at us and say, you're never going to make it. Why did you just quit? Why did you just quit? And it made me mad. And then they'd come, they'd feel sorry for us because, you know, they could see we didn't have much. We didn't know we didn't have much. We had to have somebody else come to tell us that we didn't have much. <laughs> we thought we were doing great. And they come to, t to tell my wife, look, if you would just sell insurance on the side, it's, it's a simple policy that you could sell, and every time you can make $100, just like that, and you could sell 20 of those a month, and it'll help subsidize your ministry. Nothing got me more angrier. Then they come with cosmetics. Then they come with gold coins. Then they come with air purifiers. Then they come with this. And eventually I grabbed hold of this one person and said, I am not a peddler. I am a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, well, you're not making it. I said, I do not care. I will die doing what I'm doing. I am not going to back down. I don't care what happens. We are going to stay with preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told my wife, honey, this next year is got to be better than the last year. Nothing can be worse than this last year. And you're driving down the road in this old Mercedes-Benz 69 model, dilapidated, an old dog. The springs were coming through the seats. The knobs of the steering wheel were bald. The window, if you hit a bump, of course the steering wheel's on the right hand side, the window would slip into the door. And the only way to get it out is to put your hand under the panel and to push. And then to grab the window like this and pull it up and jam it into the window. And if you hit a bump again, and the sunroof would leak. Water would collect in the roof, and when you put on brakes here, you drive into a meeting to go and preach. And you put brakes on, and the water run down the back through the roof, and then run down the back of your neck. And you're too embarrassed to take your jacket off, because there's a rust stain running down the back of your shirt. And if that, to top it all, the thing would backfire. Kaboom! Black smoke belching out the back, and as you pull away, the fa I'm not exaggerating. I'm not preaching now, I'm telling the truth. As you pull away, the fan bell goes, Gee! kaboom! Stoop! 
And when you pull up to go preach at a church, you park about a mile away because you don't want anybody's. And the pastor sees you walking. Why are you walking? Well, I'm just getting some exercise. Just... And you're wearing this one suit and the thing's been altered so many times. It looks like you've got one big back pocket. And here you are, and you set up the meeting, and you the one that put out all, you got your book table out, it consists of four tapes. And somebody else's books. Your tapes, you can't even give them away. <laughs> Nobody wants them. But yeah, bless God, you're going to preach and you're going to put out your four-part tape series on the seven steps to the 48 ways of the 900 different reasons. And God back then was telling me, let my spirit move. Let me do what I want to do. And I wouldn't. I said, Lord, I can't. I've got to preach this series now. The Lord said to me, nobody wants your series anyway. Lord, I've only got four meetings, and it'd be good to bring out this new four-part series. All right, go ahead and have your series, but that's all you're going to have. And then you go around to people's house six months later, you look, you pick up one of your tapes, and it's got Hank Williams Jr. recorded on it. And they said, oh, we listened to that so many times, we thought it would be all right to record. I thought, yeah. You never even listened to it. Now they're listening to the day the squirrel came to church. Now that might be funny to you, but that's not funny, folks. But I made a decision. I'll tell you what. Gritted my teeth and made a decision. That can bury me and on my gravestone. They can put the words, he thought he was called. He was wrong. And then my own words underneath that would have meant, it doesn't matter now because I'm in heaven. And I believe, I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for tenacity and for and inner strength that I believe only come from the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't even be standing here today. And you that are in the ministry, you know. I'll tell you what. The last, this is going into my 15th year in the ministry. The very fact that I'm standing here clothed in my right mind, which some would argue and dispute about. But the very fact that I'm standing here clothed in my right mind. And I'm not in a padded cell somewhere in a straight jacket going, Ministry! 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 It's nothing short of a work of God. But I'll tell you what, until you make the decision, when you make that decision, that quality decision on the inside of you, I'm not backing down from this.
That's when you suddenly see the anointing of God just increase in your life. It happened in every area. First of all, come in the area of praying for the sick. Because in the first two years of my ministry, every person I laid hands on that had a terminal disease died. And when people would come to me and say, Brother Rodney, this person is dying of cancer. They have 12 hours to live. I would think to myself, don't let me pray for them. They'll be dead in two. I'd go to church and they'd bring me somebody dying of cancer. I'd pray for them. I mean, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke cancer. I cast you out. Two days later, the pastor come to me and say, you know that lady you pray for? I'd almost go, yeah. Said she died last night. It's like my fault. I'm to blame, you know, for praying for her. It's your fault. You prayed for her. That's why she's dead. So I used to go into some of the remote parts of Southern Africa, into the villages, and I can remember having some meetings out where the floor is made out of cow dung in the thatched, like a church auditorium, you know, no windows, chickens running around on the platform. You've got several hundred African people in there, and you're preaching away, you know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God of miracles, signs, and wonders. And then I would purposely go out of my way to find all the incurable cases I, I could and just pray for them. I mean, just stand there for hours and lay hands on them. You're going to be healed, bless God. I know what the Bible says. You're going you're gonna to be healed. I used to pray for people that were deaf and they'd get more deaf. But one night I lined up 50 deaf people. First person didn't hear. Second person didn't hear, but then the third person ear popped, and then the fourth person, and then the fifth person, and then it just like that pop, 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 and God began to do miracles and signs and wonders. I remember that one time I was in this place, and yeah, I am all these African people. I'm out by myself, really, and I'm busy preaching, and I said that Jesus Christ is going to do miracles here tonight. And my interpreters interpreting, while he's interpreting, there's time to think. And I'm thinking to myself, you idiot. If you have a miracle, come here right now. And the first lady to come forward is this woman with a child in, in, these, in these braces, that baby that had club feet. Probably about four or five years old. Club feet. If you've ever seen club feet, they don't lie like that. They, they're this way around. And so these braces are on to put the feet that way. So here I am. I'm just told them Jesus is going to perform miracles. Everybody's now looking at me. My interpreter's looking at me. And my head say, you and your big mouth. <laughs> the next thing I find out of my mouth coming to these words, take those off. My head says, what? <laughs> it just come about of my mouth. Take those off. And of course, they just, I mean, they're going to do whatever the preacher says. She pulls those braces off. That kid's, and now suddenly it's me. And God, all eyes are watching. Say, so did you feel anything? I felt nothing. I took those feet, I put them on my hands, 
the toes were on my palms and my hands. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, as I said that the power of God hit like a bolt of lightning and hit that child and swung both feet right around, right there in front of my eyes, swung them right around, totally normal, totally well. My interpreter dropped on his hands and knees, tears rolling down his cheeks, and he began to say, Oh, I have never seen anything like this. And boy, did we have revival. You know, I just stuck my chest and I said, come on, bring the sick, let's pray for it. But I'll tell you what, in the natural, I was going like this. Because if God didn't come to my rescue, I was finished. You go study men of God's life. You Smith Wigglesworth was that way, man. He had a boldness that comes by the gift of faith. That he'd start a service off with the created miracle. He'd start a meeting off with a creative miracle. I was reading about this one preacher up in the Congo who was preaching in the Congo in this mission village. And while he was busy preaching, this big Congolese man stood up and challenged him to a fight. Here is a little preacher. He stepped forward and hit him as hard as he could with the uppercut, them, knocked the man down flat on the floor, and everybody sat and listened, and the man got up and sat down with the greatest respect and listened from that moment on. <laughs> when you're in a meeting like that and get challenged to fight, that's when you're going to know whether you're called or not. <laughs> Can you say amen? It was a Holy Ghost uppercut. Wigglesworth had some of those in his bag. He was on a platform one day, and they brought somebody that was dying of cancer. Before he could even pray, Wigglesworth up and flattened him. Flattened the stomach. The man had cancer in the stomach. Wigglesworth up and punched him. The man fell out on the floor and died. And the ushers come to him and said to Wigglesworth, they said, he's dead. Wigglesworth, in that clipped English accent, said, he's healed. He's healed. Ten minutes later, the man was healed. He was running around the place, healed by the power of God. That crippled baby, the, the, the child, toddler, that was crippled, he grabbed from the mother's hands and threw off the platform. And the moment the child hit the ground, was walking by the power of God. That's not going to come when you're double-minded. That's not going to come when you're not sure what God's called me to I want to see miracles, Brother Rodney, but I don't want people criticizing me. I want to see the God's healing power, but I don't want them criticizing me. I want to become accepted. I just want to have a nice little church in our city block. I want them to all respect me. I want to be invited to the, to the um, uh, what do they call those things? The uh, Lions International, the Rotary Clubs. I want to be invited to, to, to the bank functions in the city. I want to be invited to stand with the mayor. I don't want to be known as some wild Holy Ghost preacher where strange things happen. Well, that's all you can have then is a mausoleum filled with dead people coming to listen to dead sermons preached from the head of a dead preacher. Once you've found the purpose and the plan of God for your life, there's a place of coming into the rest of that core. It's not a striving. Once you know what you're called to do, stop striving and rest in it. 
Some people kill themselves in the striving to bring about the purpose and the plan of God. If God's called you, let him do it. I did a lot of striving in 1980, 1981, 1985, I wanted to be a part of a certain mold and be minister a certain way and be accepted with a certain group of people and it, it was just not working out. It was like having a shoe on your foot that was two sizes smaller. It was uncomfortable and it was like something that God was wanting to explode out of me and I wouldn't let him because I was afraid because I didn't see anybody going that way and I thought, God, if I go out there, I'm going to be by myself and the truth was I was by myself anyway. Because the same people that didn't like me before we had the move of God still don't like me. So what if we lost nothing? Hello. I remember 1986, I was in a meeting preaching. And while I was preaching, the Lord said to me, just stop your message right now. I was already doing one of my tape series again. He said, stop your message right now. I said, Lord... If I stop my message, I'm going to ruin the series. He said, choose between the series and my power. I said, Lord, goodbye, series. Hello, power. I stopped right there. I hadn't even got, I think, about five minutes into the message when the glory of God come in that place. How God began to pick people up and throw them on the floor. Now, the next night, I went right back to my series because I didn't think that that could happen. I didn't think God would, could know. That's just a rare occasion. God only moves on rare occasions in that way. So you go through three months of your series again. Get tired of putting your series together. God's all the time saying, don't preach that message tonight. Just let my spirit move. See, here I am spending hours a day in prayer, spending hours a day waiting on God. And I'm as dead as a doornail. I heard when one preacher at two o'clock in the afternoon, he locks himself in his room and he prays for six hours until the you know, seven o'clock service and then comes up. So if he could do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get anointed. So I go into my room. And then I'm walking the floor. And you think you've been praying for an hour and you look, it's ten minutes. By the time seven o'clock comes, my voice is hoarse. I'm tired. I'm not ready to preach. I'm like worn out. God, give me a nice rest. I, I can hardly stand up. Now I'm going to the service. I walk into the service. And I'm going to do my series again. The service is a bomb. A total bomb. I'm saying all the right words. It's a total bomb. And you leave the meeting thinking, what went wrong? Look how many hours I put in. I wanted to be rewarded for my effort in God. 
I thought God was going to come and anoint me because I was so spiritual. And now my wife walking home, get out of here, I'm praying. Can't you see I'm praying, I've got a meeting tonight. Your kid runs through, get the kid out of here, making a noise, I'm trying to hear from God. Got to get anointed, you know. This anointing will help me to minister to people, but it's sure going to make me a pain to live with. Huh. And it all happened by accident. Now, let me say this. I believe you need to have study in the Word of God. I believe you need to have a prayer life. I believe you need to be in constant communion and fellowship with the Lord. You see, I wasn't in a constant communion and fellowship with the Lord. I was into some ritual that I copied from somebody else because I thought that's what you've got to do in order to increase the anointing on your life. I read where Wigglesworth got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, had communion, prayed in tongues for three hours, and danced around his bed. So I did the same thing. Set my alarm. I promise you. Set the alarm for 4 o'clock. Have the communion there. Wake up. Take communion. I wanted to do it, man. I'll tell you what. I wanted to do it. Pray in tongues. Oh, about Shundor, three hours. And then he danced around his bed. I'd fall in the bed and go to sleep, wake up at 11 o'clock. <laughs> Wigglesworth would go out and raise the dead. I couldn't even get myself out of bed. <laughs> and it all really happened by accident. I'd got into place with one hour, been driving on the road to get into place to preach that night. Had no time to prepare. I had no time to do my religious duties. Didn't know I could be in preparation even while I was driving. Thought it had to be in some closet going, Shondai, Shondai, time my bow tie. Didn't know that I could be in preparation while I was driving, that I could be in preparation while I was fellowshipping with my wife and kids. Didn't realize that. I mean, how dumb can you get and still breathe? Thought I had to be in some, some super spiritual mode for God to, couldn't talk to anybody before my service because I didn't want to lose the anointing. Didn't want to talk to anybody after the service because I didn't want to lose the anointing. What anointing was there to lose? Someone said, I don't talk to anybody before the service. Why? Are you afraid you're going to lose the anointing? The little you do have, you probably would lose. Let me tell you, we need to learn to walk in the anointing in, it, in the midst of the most adverse circumstances, right in the face of hell. Not just when the atmosphere is right. I learned to preach with motorbike gangs trying to ride over me. Burning rubber rings on the cement. Be quiet. Keep that Harley Davidson quiet. I can't get anointed here. You did that, you get anointed with a chain. What do you do? Just ignore the Harley Davidson and keep preaching. Amen. That's why these services, when there's noise, it doesn't bother me. The more noise, the better I feel. I feel like I'm back in one of them street meetings. We have a lot of wild things happen. And so here I am, getting to the service. Now I'm telling God, now Lord, I'm not ready, God. You know I'm not ready. Oh Lord, I wanted to get that new series together. I'm not ready. And the Lord says, well, <clears throat> maybe you're going to trust in me now. So I'm praying, God, just help me. Just please help me. I'll get up there. And I'm even praying in my voice, you know, just before I preach, Lord, help me. Suddenly the Holy Ghost come in like a wind. People begin to get hit by the power of God. We have a Holy Ghost blowout. And I leave the service thinking, my, I didn't do anything. 
I suddenly found out the ministry wasn't anything that you had to do. That when you ministered by the Holy Ghost, God would just begin to do it according to the gifts that he's given to you. Can you say amen? It wasn't something that you had to conjure up or try to put pressure on yourself to work up or work yourself into emotional frenzy in order to get God to move. If he wants to heal, let him come down and heal. If he wants to touch people, let him come down and touch people. But you know what? It still didn't dawn on me that I could have gone the next night and had another Holy Ghost meeting. I went right back. It's amazing how I could have saved myself years of anguish. The next night, I was back in the same old rut, two o'clock in the afternoon, do, 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 and going right through the whole thing, get there, tired out. I mean, you can't even hear from God. But the day that we begin to allow God to just move through us and begin to use us and realize that the anointing is not based on a formula, it's based on a relationship, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with God, that you're constantly in prayer. You're living the life of prayer. You're talking to Him. You, when you're driving in your car, when you're in a bathtub, every waking moment, your thought life is not... Not, it's right there on him all the time. You're sentenced right around him. You're worshiping him. You're praising him in your thoughts. Your whole heart is worshiping him. You're praising him everywhere you go. And, and, and in your life, you're living the, and you're doing the works of Jesus. You're helping the poor. You're helping people. You're helping your brother. You, you can get more anointed from helping somebody that is destitute than going into your room for two hours. It's doing the works of Jesus. It's wa walking in the compassion of God. It's walking in love. It's walking in forgiveness. It's getting rid of the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's those little things. It's getting rid of the pride. Some people pray five hours a day, but they're as proud as anything. It's getting rid of the arrogance. It's humbling yourself. It's not in the religious duty that you're performing on a daily basis. It's in the constant attitude of your heart, walking in forgiveness, walking in fellowship with Him, listening to Him. It's not that I have to go get in prayer. I don't get out of prayer. I stay in prayer. It's not that I've got to go get in the Word. I don't ever get out of the Word. I stay in the Word. I live in the Word. I walk with Him, hand in hand. I, I talk to Him all the time. You just talk to Him. You fellowship with Him. You worship Him. You love Him. It's not that in, even in your prayer life that you're asking Him for things. You just go and worship Him. Just love Him. Love Him and then go love the people. Love him and then love the people. Love him and then love the people. Worship him and go love the people. Minister out of your love for him. Minister out of that communion you have with him. Minister out the life of God out of that. And the hard thing is to communicate that to somebody else. I remember we were having a meeting up in Pennsylvania and we flew in there and I got in, I got in at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon and the first thing the pastor says to me, and, and of course it really irritated me. He said, I hope you're ready for this meeting. So we've been fasting, and we've been praying, and we've been doing this. I thought, oh God, not another one of these. <laughs> Normally they're the deadest places to have a service. I'm serious. Most deadest place to have a service because they've already done it all. Well, then why did they need you if they've done it all? If they've already done all that, why didn't they have revival then? Why do they still need you to come in? So we get in there. I get into the house, and his little daughter's eight years old. She's playing a Nintendo game. I thought, I'll get to you. So I went to the little girl. I said... Baby, what are you playing this? She said, I'm playing this game. And it was like a racing car game. I said, can I play it too? She said, sure. She gave me one of the controls. And we sat there. We played for hours. And here he's pacing up behind me. Oh, the service is just going to bomb out. I know it's going to bomb out. He said, I'll tell you what. We should have been more prepared for this thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing with the girl. Having fun, man. Just having fun racing these cars around the track. At about 20 to 7, he says, aren't you going to pray? So I said, man, I've been enjoying this game here. I did it because I was staying with him in his home. I, I thought, I'll just get you, man. You're going to learn the lesson tonight. 
And so I slipped out, put my suit on, took my Bible, walked with him over to the service because it was right next door. We get in there, pulled the deacon. All the deacons come in now to pray over me. This uh, Brother Howard Brown's come in, but he isn't prepared. <laughs> it's not ready for tonight's meeting. I thought I'll show you. You religious thing, you. I was ready before I even got on the plane. So I let them go through their little ritual they went through. One of the deacons said, are you ready? I said, well, I sure hope so. <laughs> so we went out there, and I'm telling you, we had a Holy Ghost blowout service. I mean, people were scattered like dominoes all over the place. They carried them out. The pastor was standing there. <laughs> when, we got, when we went back to his house, he walked in the door, he says, Let's play that uh, Nintendo thing. <laughs> I could just picture him before every service now. And that brings me to the next point. If you're going to be anointed or increase anointing, you've got to learn to relax. You've got to learn to relax in, in your calling. You've got to learn to sit back and relax. Not be lazy. Prepare. But relax. Some people are so intense. They're so intense. When you're intense, you can't hear God. When, you, when you, you're like a highly strung... I mean, have you ever seen those little planes that kids play with where they wind up the propeller on that elastic band and that thing gets to the place where it's almost so wound up it's going to snap? That's how some preachers are the moment they walk on the platform. I remember we were in a meeting in Virginia and it was... <clears throat> I've been running night after night after night, early mornings, late nights. And yeah, I come into service and the pastor got up and, and he was going on and only God knows what he was doing. And so I fell asleep on the front row. I, I didn't mean to, but I dozed off and fell asleep. I did. They didn't think I was sleeping. They thought I was praying. They thought I was really in before God, you know. And I woke up hearing the name Howard Brown. And what I did was stand right up on my feet because I realized he must have been calling me. And as I stood up, the whole row fell out in the power of God. Let me tell you right now, it's not something that we can work up. We need to get to that place of resting in God, resting in what he's given to us. Is this helping anybody here this morning? And so there are times in your life where God might take you through seasons of prayer. He might even take some people through an extended fast. That's fine. It's all up to God. It's up to God between them and God, whatever God's dealing with them at the time. But don't try to make it everybody's realm. Because everybody hears the voice of God different. Don't try to let everybody operate that way. Because you might be doing it out of relationship, but you bring them into a system. And you, you, while you're doing it with a pure heart, while you're doing it out of a love relationship with Jesus, they're doing it out of ritual trying to please you. Because they don't have the same relationship that you have with God. Can you say amen? The anointing is based on a relationship, not on a formula. Not how many hours a day you do this, not how many hours a week you do that. It's based on a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Because I studied 
the men of God that have gone on before us. And I said to myself, most of them, they were greatly used of God, with the exception of, of a few, ended up in total ruins. No marriage, no children. Some of them ended up alcoholics. Some of them ended up as cults or whatever. And I thought, why did they get that way? It's because they were driven by a religious spirit that drove them into deception. Because the devil knows if he can't get you, what he'll do is he'll push you over the fence into excess and he'll get you. I mean, ministries that move in the supernatural, he'll push you into becoming weird. To becoming a weirdo when nobody can relate to you because you up in the ozone layer somewhere. Spiritual granola bar. Totally wackadoo. He'll push you out there to where you can't relate to people. And I tell you what, you know, I said to the Lord this, I said, I'm, I'm being honest with you, Jesus. You come down here. 30 years you prepare. Three and a half years later, you're gone. You don't have a wife. You don't have kids. I've got a wife. I've got kids. Am I making sense here? I'm not going to be around for just 33 and a half years. I want to, I want to run this thing until I'm finished, until I'm through. And I still want to have the same wife. I don't want to go get some other new wife because the first one couldn't handle it anymore. Lord, I, I've spent too much time on the first, my, my first and only wife. I, I, I've, you, 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 the word says train up a wife in the way she should go. And when she's old, she'll never depart from it. And I want my kids to serve God and love God. Amen. I want them to go to devil's hell. What will it profit a man if he win the whole world to God, but he loses his own wife and kids? What did you really win then? Did you really win anything? You won nothing. I told my wife this, and I'm going to shock some of you preachers. I told my wife this, and I've said it to her several times. If the choice came between her and the ministry, I would take her. Because if I didn't have her, I wouldn't have a ministry. I told my wife, I said to her, I said, honey, if the choice ever came down between you and the ministry, I'll take you. Because if I don't have you, I don't have a ministry. And that might shock somebody. But I don't believe that I would have a ministry if I didn't have her. So I, I tell you what, I don't care what the ministry is doing. We'll close the whole thing down before we prepare to break things down with the family structure. We'll just close the whole thing down. We'll just call it quits. Say, look, we've had a good innings. Just close it down. I'll go into business somewhere. I'll just go. I'm not prepared to lose my wife and kids. Not prepared. When I stand before heaven, I'm going to hand my wife and I'm going to hand my children to Jesus. And say, thank you. You gave me that woman. You gave me these children. You entrusted them to me and I'll give them back to you. If that's all I ever give you, then that's what I'm going to give you, Lord. And if you can't anoint me while I'm looking after my wife and while I'm looking after my kids and just trying to be normal, then I don't want to be anointed. If you can't come rolling into that service when I walk up on the platform and I've spent the afternoon with my kids, playing with my kids, if you can't anoint me when I walk onto that platform and if you can't come in there like a mighty wind, then I don't want the anointing because I want an anointing that will cause me to function every day as a normal person, not as some lunatic that's going to blow out of the water five years down the line that can't relate to anybody
And there's a struggle that comes because you know what God wants and you see what God wants and so you want to run for it. But you've got to pull yourself back all the time and you've got to bring yourself into check and you've got to look at all of the other areas. There's more to being anointed than walking in on a platform and standing up and proclaiming and preaching. There's more to the ministry than just standing up and opening a Bible and giving the scripture and giving points in a sermon. There's more to a ministry than just laying hands on people. That's 10%. There's 90% is behind the scenes, how you deal with people, how you relate to people. If you harbor grudges and unforgiveness in your heart, if you're walking in pride, it's those hidden things of the heart that will stop you, that will short circuit the anointing of God, where you cannot flow with Him. You can't hear His voice, where you'll have to fast 40 days every year, because there's so much flesh to get rid of. It's not us, we're not the ones doing the work, it's Him. When you stand in front of that Red Sea and you put your, your rod out, it'll part for you. I'm not saying that I've got all of this resolved within myself. I'm not saying that I've got everything just down working every way that I wanted to do. But I'll tell you what, I know what needs to be done. And I purpose in my heart that come 50 years from now, if Jesus tarries, I'm still going to be out there preaching the gospel. I'm not going to be out some bloony tuned flake living in the desert. In some prophetic chamber, <laughs> receiving chronicles daily from heaven from an angel called Macaroni, <laughs> who speaks Italian. No, not, not me. No. Uh, 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 uh. Because if you looked at people that were greatly anointed and used of God, and you see the end result of them, then you think it's the anointing that did that. No, it's not the anointing that did that. It was the imperfect vessel that was not, a, it was not in the place, and it was not prepared for God to use them. And it, the anointing of God literally blew them apart. But if we would allow the Holy Spirit to make us into the vessel that He wants us to be, we can, we can be like the Energizer Bunny and just keep going. And just keep going, just keep moving on, just keep moving on from glory to glory. Instead of looking for the one round knockout in the ministry, we're going for the 15 round win on points. Instead of looking for a big revival in some city to make it bright for us, we're just, we're just committed to keep, keep doing what God says do. Just keep going. Instead of looking for some, oh, I'm just praying for some great revival. If I have a great breakthrough, I'm going to make it. No, we just keep doing what God wants us to do. Just keep being faithful. Just keep doing what He wants us to do. And when He says it's time, then it shall come forth. And then you'll be able to handle that which God gives you. And you'll be able to use that which God gives you wisely. And you'll not prostitute that which God gives you. And you'll not abuse that anointing which God's placed upon your life. For some have taken the anointing of God and have prostituted that anointing. And so they were once greatly used of God, but today they're no longer used of God. For they've stepped over into the realm where they come into self-promotion of themselves and they lift up themselves and they exalt themselves and everyone that will exalt themselves shall be brought low. But those that shall lift up Jesus Christ of Nazareth all shall see all men drawn unto him. Yes. Oh, some Maranusha de la Viesta. John said, I must decrease, he must increase. We must become low, he must become everything. He must become our all in all. His name shall be lifted up above the name of our church, above the name of our congregations, above the name of our denomination, above the name of all our evangelistic associations. His name must be lifted up and we must become nothing. We are just a vessel. 
We are just a vessel. He pours His life into us and pours His life out of us. And if we ever become a vessel that He cannot use anymore, He shall raise up another. He doesn't want to raise up another. But if we become the one that He cannot use anymore, He shall go and seek out a vessel that is hungry, that is thirsty, that is crying out, that is humble, that is on their face before God. And then He shall take that vessel and pour into them afresh and shall use them. Oh, Mariando we should pray not God give me a great ministry not God oh give this add this to me add that to me oh but God work within me enlarging myself enlarge me on the inside enlarge my capacity to hold that which you give me oh God work in me change me that when your anointing comes it shall not destroy me it shall not destroy me but oh I shall be able to flow with it and it shall bring life unto many Hallelujah. Because if you touch the glory of God, you're dead. Nobody found that out better than one old boy back under the old covenant when that ark was toppling and he put his hand up to help it. <laughs> dead. God doesn't need anybody to help his glory. He upholds everything by himself. Hallelujah. I want to challenge you here this morning. We want to see the anointing of God increase. We want to see the anointing of God increase. We're only just scratching the surface. Now, I firmly believe this, and I stand to be corrected. I firmly believe this with all my heart. I'm going to close with this today. I firmly believe this with all my heart. That we are standing right now on the brink of the greatest worldwide move of the Holy Ghost. I believe that this move of God will be a quick work and it will be in a, sh in a few short years and we'll be with Him. I don't know how long that's going to be, but I believe that it's going to be a very, very quick work. I believe that the anointing is going to be so powerful that men will run across nations like you've never seen them before, that within one day, whole nations shall be shaken by the power and the glory of Almighty God. I believe that God is going to use people and that even those that sit among us now, that God is going to use you in a way that even if you had sat down and thought about it and written about it, you could not pin down the way that he would use you if you will yield yourself and become an available and a willing and a yielded vessel to the Holy Ghost. And I believe there won't be time for people to get flaky because within a matter of time, he'll come to take us home. But it's going to be the closing of the ages. It's going to be the wrapping up. Just like the day of Pentecost, that great outpouring and the Holy Ghost fell, it's going to be the same way. I mean, not that the Holy Ghost has to come again. He's here, but he will manifest himself in a way that has not been seen from the book of Acts until this day and this time. We are moving into the days of the supernatural realm. Not a worked up thing. Will you go to lie down on your bed and as you close your eyes, you're in the spirit? Oh. As you're driving down the road and the whole road disappears in front of you and you're in the spirit. As you're just walking down the street and the voice of the Lord come unto you saying. That's the realm of the spirit. It's not some hype. 
It's not some hyped up realm that you work yourself up into. It's just in communion with Him. It's just being in communication with Him and doing what He tells you to do when He tells you to do it. That's the thing that opens the door, just like a key, unlocking the door. You just walk by the Spirit and open the door and go through into the area that God has given unto you. And so the work that we should ask God to do in us is not God give me more anointing or God, but God change me, change me, change me. Do a work within my heart. Burn out all of the dross. Burn out all of the impurities. Burn out all of the tradition. Burn out the fear of man. Did you know you could be anointed of God and never be used of God because you're afraid of what other people are going to say about you? The Bible tells us the fear of man brings a snare. We have to decide it doesn't matter whether people accept us or reject us. It doesn't matter if we're kicked out of every church. It doesn't matter if we're kicked out of every organization. It doesn't matter what people say. We will obey God. We will serve Him and Him alone. I know some of you, as you've been sitting here this morning, you thought I was going to come and give you some seven-step formula. Listen, it's very simple. We do not come here this week to put upon you a burden that you cannot, or you, you cannot bear. Some of you already carry too many burdens. We do not come to put another yoke upon you, but rather take off that yoke of tradition and that yoke of religion. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you carrying a heavy burden this morning? You better check out if it's your burden or it's God's burden. You better check out if it's your yoke or God's yoke. If it's your yoke, put it down and put his yoke on. And come over. Step over. Step over into the realm of the glory of God. Step over into the realm of the blessing of God. Step over into the realm of the presence of God. Step over into the realm of the provision of God. Step over into the realm of hearing the voice of God. And he'll lift you up high above all the circumstances of this life. And you'll not see things as man sees them, but you'll see things as heaven sees them. And you'll know this is the way walking in it. Hallelujah. And you'll be one step ahead of the devil. He'll try to stop you here, but you'll avoid him. He'll try to hinder you here, but you'll walk around the other way. He'll try to stand in your way, but you'll jump right over him. Hallelujah. For you live and you walk and you dwell in the realm of the glory of God. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Come over and live in that secret place. Come over and live and make the decision this morning to come over and live in the cleft of the rock. Come over and hide yourself in that side that was torn for you and for me. It's in that place where there's perfect provision. It's that place where there's perfect protection. It's in that place where there's fullness of joy. It's in that place where you'll see the work of God come to pass for your life and for your ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. People, let me tell you, I mean this with all my heart. If it was up to me to just give it to you, I would. I could. If I could, I would. 
I cannot get hungry for you. You have to get hungry for yourself. I cannot get desperate for you. You've got to get desperate for yourself. Only you know that place in God. You know those sacrifices that must be made. You know those decisions that must be made. You know the laying aside of the things of the flesh that must be laid aside. You know God is prompting you even now. You know as I speak. I can only get hungry for me and out of my hunger try to preach you hungry. I'm starting to get hungry here this morning. I can preach you hungry. I'm here to make you hungry. I'm not here to feed you, to fatten you up so you leave your sexual, you know, just satisfied. I'm here to make you more hungry for God, more thirsty for God. There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more that God has. There's more that God has. There's more that God has. We're not going to settle for the, just a little traditional. We're not going to settle for just that little religious thing. We want the real. We want the genuine. We want the pure. We want the holy move of God. We want that which comes from heaven itself. Self. We want it, we want it, we want it. I told the Lord this. The day that you stop moving in this ministry is the day that I quit this ministry. Because I am carrying it on where you leave off. Either you do it or it's not going to be done. Say, so what about my church? Close the doors. Throw away the key. Put a sign up on the door saying, gone to save the world. And leave. What about this? What about that? Stop asking what about. And follow that which God's telling you to do. Our speaker, Rodney Howard Brown, missionary from South Africa. Rodney's desire is that as a direct result of this message, your life has been changed and that you have become more effective in your work for the kingdom.